Welcome to Vibrant Visionaries with me, Heidi Bennett. Today I am welcoming a fairly new friend of mine. We met through Instagram and through podcasting, and uh, he's definitely a multi-creative person. And so please welcome my bud, Ben Walker Story. What's going on, Heidi? How you doing? Hey, hey, good. <laughs> How are you? Good. Can't complain. Awesome. That's a good way to start a podcast, you know, not complaining. <laughs> right. I mean, I could, but. We don't need to mark marinate right into this, this bitch. <laughs> oh my God. I, I had to stop listening to him because he was, you know, sometimes he would just hit way too close to the bone on some subject or other about aging or mm. relationships. And it's like, I can't be that depressed today. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. So yeah, let's uh, let's err on the other side. Let's err on the side of something good, good stuff going on. So you do a couple of different creative things. Could you just fill in our listeners on what you do and any projects that you're working on right now that you want to tell people about? Okay. Um, as always, I'm pretty uh, spread out. I guess that's just the way that my mind works. So I'm just trying to roll with it now. I am a graphic artist, I guess is what you'd call it. I'm, I've been trained in illustration, animation, etc. And so now I use those uh, drawing, illustrating skills to mostly design t-shirts, but I also, you know, do poster art. I do, I've done a lot of stuff for comedians in the Bay Area and beyond. <laughs> I also do a podcast called The Cheap Chills Show. And it's a lot of fun and it's also a great excuse to do more t-shirt designs uh, and have sort of a home base brand for all of my interests. So yeah, your podcast, you and your wife started that fairly recently, like 2017, and it's kind of evolved, it seems like over time, but what's the theme of the podcast? The crux. The crux. You know, it's evolved a lot and I, I came up with the idea I guess about this time in 2016 and it was, you know, it was just me kind of figuring it out for a long time of just like, I wanted to make sure I had it nailed down before I ventured out and, and put out anything to the public. But it started out with me just wanting to sort of point out these movies that I'm finding online on like Amazon prime mm -hmm. that are free to watch if you have a membership and, and they just have like this vast library of these movies you've never probably heard of. And, and some, you know, some classics and some B-movies that you have heard of too. But all these cult horror movies and, and I love, you know, 70s horror and British horror. Anything with castles and Satanists is fine. And and that was kind of all I wanted to focus on at first. And I realized that that's, if I just go on mic um, alone or forget about it on camera, uh, <laughs> it's kind of boring. Um, if there's no, if there's nobody to bounce it off of. So then I realized that, uh, my wife is the funniest person that I've ever met and, uh, just her take on stuff. Her first reaction to things, uh, is always surprising and funny. So she's never seen any of these movies. You know, I, I actually even introduced her to a movie called star Wars. <laughs> never heard of it. <laughs> You know, you know, movies like that, she had sort of avoided because she thought that she wouldn't like them. Right. But of course she did. And so, you know, when I do put her in, in front of these, some of these movies, a lot of times she'll like them. And, uh, you know, we have some new favorites together. She loves, you know, Barbarella and uh, The Omen and other stuff she does not like. And she'll say, you know, that she doesn't like it in funny ways. So 
her honesty is is always, you know, what makes the show fresh for us. So what happened was by the time the show went live is I would find some clips of um, obscure-ish movies or at least stuff that I knew uh, Amanda hadn't seen, trailers or clips, and I would bring them up on YouTube and she'll watch them while we'll watch them together and just talk about it. We'll hear her reaction and it's just like a conversation starter. You know, we're not movie reviewers. I'm not, you know, Gilbert Gottfried. I don't have like this vast film history in my, in my mind. I'm barely good at like knowing people's names, like actors and stuff. So what ends up happening is, you know, we have a lot of weird life experiences and we've been a lot of crazy places. We live up in the hills now, up in gold country, but we've lived in San Francisco for eight years together and mm-hmm. met a lot of crazy people and had a lot of crazy experiences. So these movies, they just like bring out stories in us. And so we just end up having a conversation and it's great because that's what we were doing before. You know, we would just, uh, she would like to watch movies before she went to bed. And so we would put something on and we end up stopping the movie and talking. So it's basically that. Yeah, I love it. And I think it's great to let a podcast evolve into whatever it may evolve into and that there's no shortage of podcasts where people are getting on the mic and talking about uh, reviewing or going into minutia around a, a movie, you know, so it's nice to have something different where you're talking more about just whatever happens to come up, whatever, like if it strikes a memory or makes you laugh or, you know, I like how you guys have even gone into sort of an improv where you're, you know, making up new movies, bouncing off ideas from things that you end up talking about. And we get to know the two of you, which I know I've mentioned before in other podcasts, but in case you haven't listened to my other podcasts, I think that's what really led me to want to do Vibrant Visionaries is I want to just kind of shoot the shit with people and get to know them and their personal experiences in the world rather than just their opinion on a a movie, even though that was fun to do with the previous podcasts. So it's really been enjoyable to get to know both of you through that. And I definitely feel like, you know, a bit of a kinship with you guys and some of the, you know, things you enjoy like collecting vintage. I remember how uh, Amanda was really lighting up when she was talking about on the Adams Family episode that I really enjoyed, you know, talking about collecting interesting old things and how those things can tell a story and are a little more enjoyable to have around the house than just, you know, modern store-bought. And what I've learned, you know, from, from living with her for like the last eight years treasuring you know things because they're connected to people and they bring you joy and if not then you don't keep them around you know you don't just buy stuff for functionality i'm sitting in a room that's filled with a lot of stuff and i i actually really love the idea of minimalism and i'm also a big collector so that's definitely something that's a push-pull in my home and in my relationship with my husband like we both love a lot of interesting variety of things. And um, sometimes we say, oh, I've sucked the joy out of this, so I'm ready to let it move on. And that's how we can let go of things. Um, But yeah, we're both big collectors of vintage and some of it's kind of specific. And it's all stuff that we are drawn to. Just finding something that 
feels special or has a story or has some sort of history. We both kind of bonded over collecting vintage cookbooks, and I love opening them up you know, seeing uh, little clippings from newspapers fall out from like the 1940s and somebody's, I was going to make that Jell-O recipe, but I never got around to it. Yeah, I've I've bought some vintage cookbooks for Amanda, actually, that I wanted to look at too, because they just, some of these that I picked up are like mid-century and they're just perfect examples of good illustration as far as like design and just busting things out quickly that look good and are simple. These illustrations are all like two color. Oh yeah. Like unusual two color, like teal and orange. Exactly. That's what I was just thinking. Two color. Some kind of cowboy against a fence eating a chicken, but it's a couple, you know, splashes of color and not much more. Yeah, little vignettes of, you know, a cow, a chicken, and a pig, you know, looking cute over a few recipes of their of their demise. <laughs> so yeah, this Adams Family episode you guys did, that was even a little bit more of a departure. How did that specific episode come about? I'm glad you liked it because I, un- I was uncertain. But you know what, you want to just put out stuff in the end that is fun and that you think is important maybe to even talk about. Mm-hmm. And for me... Going full Adams is what we call it. And that's this lifestyle of, mm-hmm. you know, not being, I almost had the agoraphobic, you know, not being agoraphobic or or having social anxiety or anything, but just the fantasy of being at home with your own family and enjoying their company. And that's enough is something that we've talked about since we got together, not having to go out to work, you know, and just being able to just like, and not necessarily like even watching TV either, just fencing each other or or painting each other or doing handstands. Th- these are very real, you know, attainable things that you could do with your family at home. And we've both found that idea very appealing. Right. It's just a part of like being able to not go into foreclosure over something like that. And so we struggled with that in San Francisco because it's so expensive and me working from home on illustration projects, like going from client to client and wondering when the next paycheck was going to come. It was always a struggle. And so now we're like in a form of that here in in the hills. We're living with uh, my mother and my grandmother. Our expenses have gone, have gone down a lot, but it's not our space and we can't, you know, fill it full of marlins with disembodied legs. Your curio cabinets and such. Yeah, but... You know, it's just going to take different forms. We want to end up in a Victorian home someday. You know, this is like, these are like actual, it's not a joke for us. You know, we both just grew up on the show and and loved it. And, you know, Amanda's about the age where when the movies came out, they were just like perfect to influence her at that age, you know. She connected to Wednesday and was able to feel I'm a bit more of an indoor kid and I'm not interested in some of these activities and fashion (laughs) styles the other kids my age are. And and that's huge for us when we're growing up, when we can find some sort of pop culture reference that really connects us to our own quirky, often awkward adolescence. Whether we're trying to fit in or not, there's still something in us that wants us to at least feel that we belong one way or another. So I can totally relate to that. Yeah, I think I had my own moments like that, like in high school, but they weren't necessarily connected to this subject. So maybe we can hit on that in a minute. But I also wanted to bring up that, Mm -hmm. you know, the reason that I decided to do this Adams Family episode when I did is the feeling of being the one family in a town that is very different 
<laughs> but not wrong. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. the, is the rest of the world crazy around you or or what's going on? And, you know, just from what was going on in the news with, with what was happening to, you know, f immigrant families and children being taken away and it just being like so horrifying. And, mm -hmm. you know, Amanda was losing sleep over it, like in real life. It was really affecting her physically. And I felt, you know, really kind of betrayed by my country and leaders. And, you know, of course you disagree with what your government does sometimes, but I'd never felt like anything that our government was doing was just flat out evil before. And then to go on to like Facebook to our local groups where I look for local news to feature on the podcast. It's another little new feature that we have. I was so like floored to see people like in our community defending what was going on because I had never thought that anybody like a citizen would like, what's the, what's the upside right. of defending that? I, I didn't even know that that was going to be something that I was going to be hearing. <laughs> I guess I'm naive, but I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people are on that side and they, and they want to feel like they were still right for voting the way that they did, whatever, whatever is going on in their heads, but they're still like, they're just going to defend anything, anything <laughs> that comes up. And it just like, it floored me. And, and I felt like, wow, I just feel like Gomez Adams right now. I feel like I'm just in this town that. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to look at me like a freak if they if they hear my thoughts. I like that reaction to sort of, I don't know, double down on what it is that your sort of your v values and belief system are and how they're kind of tied into this interesting fictional family. You actually even wrote up some, what did you call them? Like their- The Adam's Code. Yeah, the code. Could you share share the code with us? The, about writing this code, I just was watching these clips. I'm attached to the TV show, The Adams Family. Like, mm -hmm. it, it means a lot to me. And the movies, when they came out, they were, you know, I watched them. They were fine. They were entertaining enough. But as the years went on, I realized that what the public sees as being the, you know, The Adams Family as a, as a cultural- what would you call that as an icon in, in our culture has changed into being what these characters were in the movie. And that kind of thing happens. But for me, I felt like there was real like differences in the characters and the tone that looking back kind of bummed me out between the, the show and the movie. And, and it just got a lot darker and meaner spirited. And I started writing down after watching a bunch of clips of Adam's family from the sixties, I started writing down these codes and I realized that a lot of them weren't, the way that the characters behaved in these movies and and since but here's you want to hear all of them yeah absolutely go for it okay it's 10 because gene autry has 10 rules to be a cowboy i don't know if you're familiar with those but it's it's not dissimilar right adams may have dark interests but okay always are positive adams have dark interests but they love each other adams don't hurt people Adams are always gracious, welcoming to guests. Adams don't lie or deceive. And that was, you know, if you think about what is, what is like this goth dark persona, you know, of like being like mischievous and evil, you know, surely you would lie and deceive. But, you know, the Adams kids in the clip that we brought up, they were just like mortified that a friend, you know, that was staying over would ask them to deceive somebody coming to the door and, and lie to them. So that struck me. Mm -hmm. Adams are not afraid of new things. They are curious and supportive of things that are outside of their scope, which means that they're not haters. You know, everybody's got their thing that makes them like alternative and cool and their, their bands from way back in the day that they uh, knew before you did. 
but you don't have to hate on the new stuff. Right. And that, that's something that we have to remind ourselves all the time. It's, it's hard. I'm, I, my first inclination is to be like, Oh, I don't, I don't <laughs> right, like that. Right. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. I think I definitely want to hear all of them, but yeah, there's a lot of kindness and compassion and curiosity here is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Like in this clip that we brought up, it was about this beatnik who crashed his motorcycle onto their lawn. And uh, that's dangerous because they got those big spiky, you know, iron fences. Mm-hmm. And uh, they didn't know what a beatnik was. I'd never heard of that, you know, cultural uh, movement. But I think that they sort of, the, the idea of the episode was that they had this sort of kinship that they were both counterculture. Mm-hmm. The atoms are their own counterculture. And that's it. You know, they're not evil or anything. And so when they run into another counterculture, some somebody who's trying to go against the norm and just trying to live their own way that they like living, the Adams would respond to that. And we noticed, you know, that this isn't an accident that these episodes were written like this. There was definitely, you know, something that these writers were sort of pushing, you know, and I don't want to call it an agenda, but a life uh, philosophy that they were putting out there, just like Rod Serling would in, in the Twilight Zone, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Adams have no use for unnecessary propriety or puritanism. This is where they get into their darker stuff. You know, there's a lot of rules that are set up to keep people in line or God knows what they were originally set up for, but they just stuck around. And a lot of people go by those rules in order in order to not, not make waves. Right. And I, I love how the Adams, they're just doing what they love doing and they are not hurting anybody, but they're not interested in in your wackadoo rules that don't mean anything. Yeah, I think that one struck me a lot because I feel like I wasn't brought up with any religion, but certainly there were lessons that my parents taught me, but they were, you know, very golden rule oriented and treat other people kindly. And um, we don't know other people's experiences. So don't judge them for just having them be different and, you know, be a helper and all these kind of just kindness things yeah so that one kind of struck me like oh yeah yeah i like that yeah uh atoms are their own form of counterculture we already talked about that Mm -hmm. and the 10th one and this is the crux of going full atoms okay atoms don't need outside help validation or entertainment they're happy in their own world they make their own fun in their own home I'm a huge proponent of getting help and finding friendship outside of the home. But I love being able to entertain yourself and also to have that safety and security of knowing that your family has your back and also that you can entertain, you know, that it's a group of people who are very creative and fun loving and silly. And yeah, there's a dark sense of humor there, but there's um, this sense of they're very loving to each other, you know, that they're affectionate to each other yeah it was the first uh on-screen tv you know couple who uh were affectionate and sexual toward each other which is kind of nuts and sad you know it goes back to that puritanism it's like we're, we all got here the same way why are we all pretending that you know that married couples don't get sexy or didn't at some point, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty silly. Yeah, and, and it's kind of sad if you're if you know what kind of example is that if a if a married couple on TV isn't affectionate toward each other, it's kind of a bummer. Definitely. So yeah, like you're like you're saying, I'm I'm not advocating 
not going outdoors. I'm not advocating, you know, not having, you know, friends outside of your house, of course. But, you know, for me, I've always had a great time at on my own. And there's no shame in that. You know, at, at your core, you need to be able to have fun alone and with your own family. That's all. And, and you know, I think also I've always, <laughs> I guess I've always, uh, I learned when I was in San Francisco for eight years that my main motivation is life is literally seeking peace, avoiding panic attacks, I guess. Mm. I, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, trying to just get to Trader Joe's and back in San Francisco for a bag of groceries, you know, you, you almost get run over at every intersection. You got people trying to manhandle you for your wine that you just bought. You just got to look over your shoulder all the time for like who's coming up too close to you. And that's like the opposite of how, you know, I don't know if anybody really can live like that, but it just feels like so against my grain. I just want to like have some, some peace and some quiet. And I think, you know, I probably have like some of that hypervigilance. I think all artists are aware of what's going on around them more than non-creative people. Mm -hmm. That could be a whole subject of your, your show. Oh yeah, totally. Just like you, you notice things and then the upside is you can be an artist and take that home and regurgitate that word for word, you know, something that happened at Trader Joe's. You come home and you'd be like, you wouldn't believe how weird the, the checkout person was and, and what they did. And me and Amanda, we both are, are good at like regurgitating exactly what happened and doing the voices and, and you know, like reenacting it. Uh, and I've been with other people in the past where like, They'll come home and they'll be like, the, the guy at Safeway was so rude. And I'd say, well, what happened? He was just rude. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, but on the plus side, that person probably doesn't notice the fluorescent lighting. I, I don't know. I've, I've had panic attacks and had to walk out on jobs because of the lighting. Yeah. So, so it's a give and take. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that subject because I definitely feel like my home is a sanctuary. There is a safe feeling inside my home and with my dog who's snoring right now or with my husband, Brian, or just by myself or listening to podcasts, which I bring that up again simply because when I was having some panic attacks and uh, some social anxiety, I realized that listening to podcasts helped me deal with that. So that was really helpful. I can be, not all the time, but I can be so sensitive to sound and what other people are talking about, um, say, in a restaurant mm -hmm. that sometimes I have to leave or Brian's gotten used to this. I'll go over to somebody's table and say, you know, very politely, but firmly, pardon me, but I can hear the video that you're playing on your phone and it's really distracting. And I've come here to spend time with a friend and talk and enjoy dinner. And I just can't because I all I can do is hear your video. And, you know, most of the time people will turn it off. Sometimes they turn it down and I can still hear it. And it's really horrible, but it feels like a stab in my heart too, because I also feel like that's something that I don't like about how things have evolved out in the real world is that people can play so many, play their phones and, you know, play music or videos or whatever in, in public places or even have televisions blaring in restaurants. Uh, those are things that are really hard for me to, to deal with. So I definitely understand that. And yeah, but I also feel like when I listen to a piece of music or watch movies, it's very common for me to be crying with uh, emotional connection to them and be lo loving them on this deeper <laughs> level. <laughs> and I'm not mm -hmm. saying I'm like deeper than the person next to me, but I just mean, you know, I can sit and watch a movie and be crying 
because I'm loving it so much. And I'm not just loving what may be the cinematography and the music that's been chosen and the acting and the script writing, but I'm also in love with the idea that the people who came together and collaborated on this project got it made. Yeah. Yeah. Art's a trip like that. I think that I, I'm glad that uh, scientists aren't very interested in decoding what happens with art and music and all things, you know, creative. Because I don't know, what if somebody decoded and figured out like what exactly, you know, happens when somebody makes something and puts their emotions into it and somehow decode what, what somebody's reaction is to it and how it makes them emotional or whatever. It feels like there is some kind of magic to it all. And I would... I wouldn't want it to be any other way mm -hmm. because I think that there is some kind of form of communication that is happening there that's deeper than what you can do with words sometimes even. And uh, it is weird if you, I was just listening to another podcast where he was talking about what's so big, such a big deal about writing music. Like anybody, you just can, you just decide that there's a note and then there's another note above it. And then the one is lower and then you repeat it. And I just, I was a little bummed out by him because, you know, you can take any creative endeavor and, and if you want to break it down like that, it sounds pretty dumb, but of course there's more to it. And then there's, there's something where if you put your heart into it and you have something that you're trying to like say or some feeling that you're trying to convey, somehow it goes through those notes and comes out of a speaker or a symphony or whatever, and it hits people and they get it. And it's going to be all in different ways because everybody's different and they have their own point of view and it's going to mean different things to different people, but it's sort of going to hit like a, it's like a, some kind of radiation treatment where it does hit that main kind of thing that you're trying to hit. Plus, you know, a bunch of side effects. <laughs> right. I was thinking about this time where I was in the middle of a divorce and I was like couch surfing and I was able to paint at somebody's studio and I painted this kid in a soapbox racer that he had like homemade and he had wings made of like cardboard or something that he was holding onto with his hands. And he's like flying up over this hill. And the way that I framed it, you know, he's catching some air. So, you know, what happens next? Is he going to like kind of just go down this hill and he's, he's just can't catching some wind and he's going to, or some air and he's going to like land. Or is this like a, a flight takeoff scene? You know, it was kind of up to your interpretation. And then, you know, just to, drive the point home, I wrote like a fake journal entry because uh, I was obsessed with people trying to create flying machines at this point. But this was way before I had ever heard of mm -hmm. steampunk, but apparently I was making steampunk mm -hmm. art. I just wrote that this kid was like trying to test his flying machines and maybe this will be the day that he finally takes flight. And in retrospect, Amanda, my wife, can see these paintings from this first marriage and these troubled times. And she knows exactly what was going on in my head by looking at these paintings. And I thought I was making some, you know, something that didn't mean anything or that was, you know, deeply hidden meaning that you nobody will ever get. Don't worry. But it turns out it was kind of an open book. And I was working a convention, uh, doing a table at a comic book convention and this guy walks up and he's like probably a little bit older than me. And he goes, Oh, you did these. He goes, I bought a print of the, your, your kid in the soapbox with the flying machine, uh, last year. And, you know, I was going through this divorce and I would look at it every day and it like gave me a hope, you know, that 
there was something that was like on the horizon. I'm not sure exactly what he said, but basically he was saying that it was like the exact message that I was putting out there for myself, the way I was feeling was like giving other people that I didn't know hope. And that's, that's all you can ask for. I mean, what else can you do in this world, you know? Yeah. And yeah, there's always going to be technical ways to teach somebody how to paint or illustrate, but it's like music or any other piece of art. It's what you're your vulnerability that you're willing to uh, release, whether you kind of know it or on a subconscious level or letting it seep out <laughs> that makes something resonate or is just sort of blah or bullshit. Right. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, that's the hard part is I think it just comes with, with getting older and, and growing up basically is everybody goes kind of through the same phases where you kind of want to, you know, take drawing and painting for an example, since that's mostly what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're like in junior high, high school, you're drawing yourself. Like that's what everybody does. Like even if you're drawing comic books or whatever, you come up with a character that looks like you and is obviously you, you know, <laughs> there's no shame in that, but that's what everybody's doing. That's what I did. And then I think as I got older, like into my mid twenties and early thirties, I was starting to make art that didn't really mean anything. Like I know, I know I just said that, that I thought this other stuff didn't mean anything, but I mean, I was really trying to make, you know, I was aping off of Radiohead album covers, you know, stuff that just like was as meaningless looking mm-hmm. as possible, like dry. And I was making like techno music and putting my little jokes in them and sampling, you know, Star Trek movies and just goofing around. And I think that that's, maybe that's a healthy young adult outlook too. I, I don't know, but I think that hopefully you can get to a point where you're actually trying to like look at your own life experiences and and have something to to say. Yeah, I mean I think it's similar with making music and you know doing comedy is that you start out maybe emulating, you know, like some of my favorite music that I like to play and listen to is, you know, older R&B and soul and things like that and I think, you know, in the the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and a lot of other artists, you know, started out covering that material and then they start playing stuff, whether they're trying to be commercial or delve in deep, but it it is all experimenting. And then, yeah, as you get older, you start to get a bit more introspective and similar with comedy where Mm -hmm. comedians, the more real they get, the more interesting it is. Yeah, you you nailed it. I I didn't think about it, but yeah, like I said, I was aping Radiohead album covers to, I did a few paintings where I was clearly like obsessed with being Shag. Sure. (laughs) You know Shag? No, yeah. I mean, yeah, I would just pick up Juxtapose magazine and mostly fantasize about what my interview would, would look like, but not paint very much. And when you do, you're mostly, yeah, copying other people's styles, but it's all like, it's just like the, you know, the drawing yourself phase. I think it's all it's all, you know, healthy, normal phases that we go through. Yeah, it's part of the process. It's how we how we find our own voice. And, you know, one of the other phases that I went through fairly recently that was really, you know, beneficial to me was getting hooked up with people where there was a few companies in a row where I was like, oh, yeah, I am going to be such a hit with this company and I'm going to do such great things with them and for them. And and like, I know they're not into this sort of thing now, but I'm going to come in 
and I'm going to like show them what a great idea it would be to do this. And then I'm going to show them what a great idea it would be to like, what if we made these? And what if we went this total different direction? And like in my head, I know that these companies have like customers that they don't even really know or understand yet that we sort of cashed in on, you know, but that wasn't, it wasn't what they were going for or what they understood. And that's okay because it made me realize that I do have strong opinions on my own stuff that I want to do. And I can't like ride on other people's or brands, you know, coattails, you know, you get wooed by like, Oh, they, they have a brick and mortar store or these guys have a hundred thousand followers on Instagram or or whatever. And you're like, Oh, you know, if I, if I start podcasting with these guys, or if I start making this product for this audience with this company, it's just going to be an instant hit because the, this company already has such a following and it's, it's very tempting, but once you get your ass kicked by, by that not going well a couple of times, it just like puts a fire in your belly to be like, good, <laughs> I can do exactly what I want to do. And either, either it'll go well or it won't, but it'll be exactly what I want to do my way. And that's just so much more important than like trying to shoehorn your ideas into to some company's bottom line. Yeah, I like that you used shoehorn there because I think um, when I first got my coaching Well, actually, I'll go back to music. When I moved to the Bay Area from Sacramento, I knew what kind of music I wanted to sing, and I wanted to work with high caliber musicians. And when I started running into other people who played jazz and R&B and soul from the 40s through the 60s, and maybe they dressed kind of hip and cool in my brain, I was like, oh, yeah, these are my people. Like, we'll just get together. We'll get in the studio. We'll get in a rehearsal space. Like, I just magically thought, because I felt like I understood who they were and the kind of music they were into, that we would just all collaborate and it would all work out great. Then reality came together. A lot of them were already busy with their careers and didn't have room to fuck around with me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They didn't know me. They didn't have a history with me. And then some people I ended up, oh, okay, so you'll work with me, but only if I'm paying you, which of course people want to get paid for a gig, but I'm talking about like, oh, they'd say, oh, we don't, you know, I know this material so well. I don't want to get together with you and practice. Just tell me where the gig is. I'll show up. You pay me and I'll play. It's like, oh, that's not really fun. That's not like collaborating and, you know, jamming together and kind of getting our own groove. And, uh, you know, that there was that example. And then other people who, you know, sometimes you just realize, oh, we're just our personalities don't really work well together and stuff like that. But I had this fantasy of it all just kind of coming together because I had this long history of playing music, you know, in another city. Mm-hmm. When I became a certified professional coach, I had opportunities to like, yeah, work with companies that were already established that were doing coaching things, whether they be online or brick and mortar or whatever. And on the surface, I felt like, oh, yeah, we really align with our values and this and that and the other. And then I'd get really excited to work with them and be one of their, you know, part of their team or something. But the more I investigated, I realized like, oh, I actually like my ideas better. Or I think I have a better understanding of of the market or how to to market things or how to explain what it is that we do as coaches. And and yeah, I just it, it actually worked to help me gain confidence in what I what I want to do on my own and how I want to do it. But there is a lure to having things already kind of set up. Right. It gives you the opportunity to turn around and spend more time developing your own point of view and sticking it out there. And it can be a little 
or feel a little risky or scary. But once you get used to doing it, I think it's hard to stop. Yeah. Well, it's probably a good time for us to start wrapping this up. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to fade out here. (laughs) My brain is starting to melt. So it's usually a good time to to wrap things up. I really enjoyed having you on today and, and covering all sorts of different topics. So before we wrap up, where is it people can find you and what do you got uh, going on that you'd like people to know about? Yeah, well, definitely go to cheapchillsfanclub.com. That's our home base for the podcast and for our new clothing line, uh, Cheap Chills Clothing. We actually have a it all integrated in with amazon.com now and it's got its own storefront. So that just launched and you'll find the link there. Uh, also a new little tidbit, uh, that's not going to be public, um, until maybe I'm going to say the first of the year. Okay. But a friend of mine is also a, an illustrator and cartoonist. He lives in North Carolina, but we've known each other for a long time and we've been comparing notes on our creative process and how we are living on our art. And we both ended up in the same place of doing all this work to put up on Amazon Mm -hmm. and really just sort of making our own way without clients or employers. And that's just always been the dream. You know, we call it going full Adams. Right. And uh, so we have been recording conversations just about using your artistic skills and graphic design skills, whatever you have to, to live that way. And comparing notes and taking questions from people who are just starting out and we'll be uh, questioning other people um, who can offer stuff to us too, but to the listeners as well. And we're calling it Dream Realizers with Paul and Ben. Cool. Oh my God. That is such, oh, I love that. I think that's really great. Sometimes I was just having a conversation with somebody the other day about pulling inspiration from other creative people. And sometimes on podcasts or other platforms, you hear conversations with people, but maybe they've already reached like super high level, you know, they've already gone through maybe years of doing whatever it is, stand up or graphic design or whatever it is. But it's kind of hard to relate to where they're at maybe at the moment, because their story is not your story. It's like a lot further along, maybe. So I love the idea of talking with people that are doing it, like you guys are doing it, and then having some folks that are just starting out sort of troubleshoot where they're at in the process and kind of helping them along to make it more accessible for anybody wanting to experiment with that. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. Like it's tough to remember, like any advice that I would mentally think of as far as what I'm doing is really like within this window of the last, you know, few years. And so it's good to talk to people who are just starting out to, to really kind of refresh the basics, you know, the basics are always important too. So, and to just kind of pass stuff along. And, uh, I think I mentioned that, you know, I'm trying to do Skillshare videos and that's all going to kind of tie in just like helping people out with making their own, their own products and their own money and, getting better at art. That's cool. Awesome. Well, I will definitely share all of those pertinent links in the show notes. And as you launch the new podcast, I will uh, promote that as well. Great. Sweet. Okay, well, let's wrap up today. And before we wrap up, I want to welcome the new Patreon patrons that we've got going over here over in the Vibrant Visionaries community. And that is Tom, 
and Pete and Jerry. And so thanks for joining up and supporting the podcast. Welcome to the family. As always, you can find me at vibrantvisionaries.com. Thanks again, Ben. And thanks, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Okay, Heidi. See you later. Ciao.